This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've worked and lived in Fayetteville, Arkansas for almost 30 years. I started self-work five years ago because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological and emotional issues, to those of you who might just have been diagnosed or are curious about what's going on with you, whether it's just yourself as an individual or your relationship, but also to a third group. To those of you who don't really understand what therapy is, what good does it do, I hope you're just curious enough to listen to transform some of your ideas about what seeking help might be like. Once again today, I wanted to take the time before 2021 is over to answer a few more of your emails. Your questions are so good. It's hard not to answer them all, but I'm going to do just that for at least a few more. Today's subjects are enmeshment, developing feelings for your therapist, maternal sexual abuse, and getting multiple forms of therapy at once. All great topics. Before we begin, I want to remind you about the Fireside Chat interactive podcast I've started. You have to get the Fireside Chat app, and right now it only works with iPhones, but you can go to firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford. That's firesidechat.com slash Margaret Rutherford. And you and I can have a real conversation over on Self Work Chat at Fireside Chat. So let's get down to answering these questions right after this message from Athletic Greens. They have a wonderful offer for self-work listeners. Our partner, AG1, has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens, frankly, because they were interested in sponsoring self-work, and I never recommend something to you without trying it first. With one scoop of AG1, whose taste is somewhere between sweet and tart to me, you'll get 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I love it because whether I'm home and about to go out for a walk or traveling and about to spend time with friends and family, I can start my day proactively, knowing I'm doing something for my own self-care. If you're like me, self-care can get lost for sure. In fact, its founder, after having severe gut issues, realized he was taking over $100 a day worth of supplements, which had their own very complicated dosage routine, so he created Athletic Greens. To make it easy, and because you're a self-work listener, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is to visit athleticgreens.com selfwork. Again, that's athleticgreens.com selfwork to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I hope if you get Athletic Greens that you keep it up during the holidays because we all think I'll just have cookies for breakfast. <laughs> but really, the Athletic Greens gets your day started so, so well. Now let's get to those questions. Here's the first one. 
My parents came to you for couples counseling some years ago. My father says you were the first to fire them as clients. I guess other people did too. My mother refused to change and was unwilling to try, according to my dad. I grew up with comments like, are you really going to go out like that when I wasn't wearing makeup? They were subtle until my parents divorced. It started to feel like emotional abuse. Yet 10 years later, I still feel the need for her approval. Like, half my life has to be hidden in order to have a relationship with her. I managed six months of not talking to her after I fought her for a year on everything at 21. She showed up to my apartment unannounced and acted like nothing had ever happened. What disappoints me most is that I let her. My mother tells me that she prayed for me years ago and got two boys first. At some point, it stopped being special and started feeling like an expectation. I feel like... I'm all she has when she has three children. I want to figure this out because I just started my married life. Let's also first address firing them. I've only really fired a few people through the years, so for me to have suggested that therapy wasn't seeming to help, things must have been pretty stagnant. But at some point, if my recommendations are being ignored or I've tried everything I can think of, even with supervision, to help me see what maybe I'm struggling with, then it can be better with clients to take a break or suggest another therapist to them. I'm not everyone's cup of tea. I don't really remember this young woman's parents, but they wouldn't be the first couple that I've looked at and said, you know, I've tried everything I can to help you, and I don't think you're getting better. That said, it certainly sounds as if this daughter has been given the strong message that she exists in order to meet the mom's expectations. The story that she's been told, praying for a girl and being disappointed, not only makes me concerned for those boys, but perpetuates the sense of responsibility that's being handed down to her. This is called enmeshment. I had this kind of relationship with my own mother, and maybe my story will help. My long-ago therapist asked me one time, would it be okay if your life was happier than your mom's? And my immediate response was a resounding no, and I meant it. That idea at the time was appalling to me. How could I be happier than my mother? I would have felt like I'd abandoned her. I mean, I couldn't go on a walk with my dad without her that she didn't scowl at me a little. How could my life possibly be happier than hers? So I will say to this listener what my therapist told me. You won't get permission from your mom to live your own life. Not until she gets her own help. And now that you're in a marriage yourself, it will be best for that relationship if your relationship with your mom isn't primary. I hear that you tried at 21 and you're disappointed in yourself, believing somehow you failed. But that sense of duty and responsibility is deeply entrenched. Another thing I realized along the way, my own sense of believing in myself hadn't truly formed as I relied more heavily than I realized on my mother's approval and her intense attention on me. Probably a lot of the rules you have about living your own life about having clear boundaries, aren't even normal. So a few sessions with a therapist to help you see this can be more than useful. It has turned into an expectation, although your mother would likely deny this dynamic. And I can understand that her need for you became more intense after the divorce. You might want to also think through that part of your life that you're hiding. What are you afraid of happening if your mother knew the real you? That's a fear worthy of exploration for sure. But good luck to you. You know, enmeshment is kind of a funny dynamic because it can look so much like you're just really so special to a parent. 
And yet I've heard her pain over and over again with people who need to truly break free from a parent that depends on them too much. I'll have a link in the show notes to one of my own blog posts on it. It's actually one of the most listened to posts on that site. Here's our second question. I think I'm developing feelings for my therapist. I never saw this coming, and it worries me. We connect, and I don't want to ruin that. But I find myself thinking about her and getting anxious while waiting for my next appointment, not to mention I'm married. Why do I tend to develop feelings for almost anyone who plays a nurturing, caring, listening role in my life? It's happened with friends, teachers, coaches, bosses, and now my therapist? Okay, here's the answer. This listener is talking about transference, when feelings, either positive or negative, about someone from your past is transferred onto your therapist or anyone else for that matter. And it's more common than you might think in therapy. It's an older psychoanalytic term, but it's alive and well, in my opinion. And remember, the therapist can also transfer feelings onto you. That's called countertransference, which can be dangerous if the therapist doesn't recognize it in themselves. The three kinds of transference are positive, negative, and sexualized. Obviously, it's unethical for any therapist to express any sexual feelings toward you or any of this countertransference. And if they do, you need to immediately get out of the relationship. But let's talk about this listener's pattern for a minute. My first thought is that I'm not totally sure what she means by developing feelings. It infers romantic feelings, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. She just may find herself feeling very dependent on her or not able to wait to talk with her. And it sounds as if this has happened in the past with other nurturers. It could be a lot of things. It could be that wanting to be closer or to get to know your therapist as a person could be due to not having appropriate nurturing as a child, and you have an attachment style that's more needy when you sense a caring attitude toward you. You fear that you'll lose them, fear that you'll be abandoned. And certainly, those feelings can distract you from your own work that's needed if you fantasize constantly about a story about what could be with your therapist or any other person, rather than sticking with whatever reality there is in your life. For example, maybe it would be good to talk about your marriage, and you're distracting yourself by that, by these feelings you're developing. The third reason is it could also be a sign that you were manipulated or abused as a child and you don't understand how to benefit from a relationship that has more distinct boundaries. You don't even really know how to establish them. It's also kind of a setup for disappointment, you wanting more for the boundaries that need to exist in therapy. You don't want them to exist. All of that said, it's usually better to talk about your feelings with your therapist, to reveal that you're struggling with them. Explore the why with them. If it becomes the thing you don't talk about every session, it can dominate your own headspace. And so you're really not as engaged in the therapeutic process as you could be. Those conversations, which I've had more than once as a therapist, can be difficult, a little awkward, but it can lead to understanding the very thing that has you confused now. And with a healthy therapist, they'll handle it, because it is a common dynamic in therapy. Here's the third question. Dear Dr. M, I really appreciate your weekly emails. She must be on my subscriber list for my website. My husband was maternally sexually abused for one year as a seven to eight-year-old when his father returned from war. 
Everything you send to help is to be seen through the lens of this fact. It wasn't his fault that he was so sexualized. Anyway, through the help of our knowledgeable, recommended therapist, we are learning to trust. That was short, but the main reason I've included this email is because boys being sexually abused by mothers, aunts, sisters, female neighbors, or grandmothers doesn't get talked about as much as females being abused. But it happens, and it causes just as much damage. Previously on self-work, I've talked about my first internship that was on a children's unit in a state hospital. And there were very young children there who'd been abused mostly by parents, dads, and moms. Trust, boundaries, anger issues, sexualization of yourself, all of that and more can be quite unhealthy. Over the years, I've worked with several men who've been afraid of talking about their sexual abuse with their partners for fear they'll be seen as less masculine or less capable. And actually, sadly, sometimes that has happened and it has to be worked through. Accepting that any child can be victimized is so important. You were a child. And sometimes as adults, we can forget just how dependent young children are on their parents. You don't know it's wrong, except in your gut. And you don't have the power to stop it. So bravo to this couple for working on these issues together, and good luck to you. I'm happy and honored if any of my own work has been helpful. Our fourth question is from a speak pipe voicemail. And don't forget, you can leave me a voicemail here The icon is in the show notes, as well as a lot of places on my website at drmargaretrutherford.com. Okay, let's listen in. How do I respond to my mom when she texts me with everything that's wrong with her all the time, and I don't reply back for a day? She asked me why I didn't ask her if there was anything I could do to help her. Once again, we have another demanding-sounding mom and resentful-sounding daughter, and it's again about enmeshment. But her question brings up two issues for me. One, what has happened with texting when we literally count the minutes before someone responds to texts? I've had clients who are judging whether someone cares about them or how special they are to someone by this amount of time. Now, I get it when you're falling in love, and the more vulnerable you are— the more reassurance you may need that those feelings are returned. I so get that. But now I'm even hearing from people who aren't great at returning texts. I hear that they beat themselves up constantly, that they're ashamed of themselves for not being able or not remembering to get back with someone. And I know, I mean, at this juncture, people reach out to me via text, via direct message, by Instagram, via Facebook, and it is hard to even remember where the messages are coming from. Now, if that's truly about self-centeredness, that you don't return texts, that's one thing. But much more often, it's about maintaining focus, being busy, not multitasking well. Girls are probably much better at it because we're better at multitasking as a gender. Men tend to unitask or unifocus more efficiently. So, with her question, there's the issue of her mother saying, it's been a whole day since I texted you and you haven't responded. And that does seem to suggest in this instance that the person whose feelings are hurt doesn't have the capability of soothing themselves, that there are likely very good explanations for the lack of response that has nothing to do with the quality of the relationship. Or, if it does have something to do with it, 
like maybe you're too needy or too demanding, then you're not seeing this in yourself. And it does sound like it's gotten to be a dynamic with resentment. So how could this listener respond to her mom? That's the second issue. What I might suggest is that she sit down with her mother when she's not mad and talk about her concern for her mom. Try telling her that you get concerned that she's so consumed by her problems and that maybe she needs therapy for support. Or something else you could do is text back, if indeed you're avoiding it because of feeling as if your mom is too needy, and say, I can hear that you're troubled, but I know you'll find your way. Basically, you give her back the responsibility of solving her problems or of soothing herself. You basically give support for her working through these things herself. So you've responded, but not in a way where you actually are enabling her to feel like she needs you to soothe her or taking on the role that you're supposed to provide soothing. So you can either sit down with her, tell her your concern about how needy she is, and maybe she needs a therapist, or you can text her, And then say, Mom, gosh, I can see how upset you are, but I know you've got this in the bag. Now, let me say that someone with this kind of need may need to hear this message from you several times or may voice even more hurt at the boundary you're setting up. So there's not an easy answer to this. Sometimes boundaries are very hard to set up, but good luck to you. Here's the last question, and she leaves me a very complimentary first paragraph, which is so complimentary, I'm not going to read it. And she says, on to my question, though. I definitely fall into the perfectly hidden depressed group, and you made me see that. I'm new to therapy and opening up, and I'm actually in between therapists right now because my previous therapist felt I needed someone with more availability. I start with a new therapist in a week who I'll see twice per week. She appears to be pretty EMDR-focused, and my previous therapist thinks this will be great for me. So on top of my usual talk therapy I was getting once per week, I listened to your podcast, and I listened to another one called The Adult Chair. So then on top of that, I recently started a self-initiated online CBT lesson. So I'm not sure how much talk therapy is mixed in with EMDR, but sometimes I wonder if it'll be too much. Could I unknowingly be sabotaging myself by learning so many various approaches or techniques? Thank you so much for all you do for folks like me who need a pleasant voice to talk us down from the ledge sometimes. So, lots of different things she's talking about. Here's my answer. As therapy has become more specialized, meaning clinicians advertise themselves as doing certain kinds of therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, CBT, DBT, EMDR, certainly I can understand how someone can become worried that there are too many approaches going on, especially then if you're doing it through self-help. Even my perfectly hidden depression label, although not a therapy technique nor a diagnosis, could be used in a way that's not helpful where you leave it at, oh, that's my PhD or my perfectly hidden depression, rather than looking more deeply into it. Specifically, EMDR can be done by clinicians in a lot of different ways. When it was taught to me, I was taught a fairly strict regimen where you ask one question and then the next question and you're given those questions. Then you do this technique. Actually, I tried it that way and I didn't like it. I felt like I wasn't using my years of clinical experience in this very rigid regimen. But then I took another couple of courses on it and learned, at least from those sources, that it was very important to use my experience. And you can weave in the original technique, but you're going to find lots of different kind of ways of doing EMDR. 
And yes, talk therapy can be part of someone's technique who's doing EMDR, or the clinician might only do EMDR and not much of anything else. The basic rule of thumb is this. If you have two therapists, let's say you have a talk therapy therapist and you have an EMDR therapist, they should be consulting with one another, with, of course, your permission, to make sure their approaches are working for you. If you're getting couples therapy and you both have individual therapists, it can be helpful for those therapists to communicate as well. Obviously, not giving each other confidential information, but to assess where the relationship is going. As far as you doing other readings or listening to podcasts, I think that's fine, but be careful because you can get what I call over-therapized. There are just too many cooks in the kitchen and things can get jumbled up pretty quickly. One technique might be focused on the present, one the past, one on CBT, and then the other using a systemic approach. So you have to be a little careful. And by all means, if you're getting overwhelmed and need to slow down to a therapist, say so, always say so. So I hope these questions were helpful to you. I want to give you a heads up. For the next three weeks, we'll be doing our actually very popular second time around series. We're going to be taking a few weeks off for the holidays, and I also will be trying to write some sample chapters of a new book. But I certainly hope that the episodes I've chosen are ones that you will learn a lot from and enjoy. In talking to you today about my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, that is obviously still available, I want to read this lovely note. Actually, it was on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for your amazing podcast with Tana and Poignant Book. He's talking about uh, Tana Amen. Truly life-changing. Thank you. Never in my life have I been able to suddenly realize that I have a lot of work to do on myself. Thank you and regards. So this meant a lot to me. This is a man from London, and I could not have been more pleased that some of the interviews I've done even a year ago are still out there and are causing the book Perfectly in Depression to be something that people want to read and know they will learn from. It's an audiobook, ebook, and paperback form. And if you need to hear this message, that your life does not have to be as controlled, that you can risk talking about who you really are, then the book is for you, whether you consider yourself a perfectionist or not. There are other ways of getting in touch with me. Again, my website is drmargaretrutherford.com. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. If you subscribe to the website, you will receive a weekly newsletter, which includes my blog post and my podcast, and any other kind of bonus things going on, or perhaps some information about where I'm speaking. Would love to have you there. And I want to tell you, I still have my Facebook closed group, and that's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Again, that's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. So thank you for being here. Please, during this holiday season, have a wonderful and safe celebration. Thank you for your questions. I hope my answers have been helpful. I'm Dr. Margaret. And this has been Self Work.